Okay, I think we're going to get started here. The fight over public integrity. I'm going to introduce my guests. Uh, seated next to me is Bill Turner, the former district attorney of Brazos County. He served in that role for 29 years and is no stranger to public integrity investigations. In the late 90s, he prosecuted senior A&M officials for alleged financial misdeeds. Alleged is the secret word. Jury decided. And I, I think there, there was at least one conviction. We'll talk about that. And in 2003, he was appointed special prosecutor in the criminal case against Travis County District Attorney Rosemary Lindbergh, whose drunk driving arrest and subsequent bad behavior while in jail played into the debate over moving her public integrity unit out of Travis County. Turner uh, served previously on the Judicial Advisory Council for the Community Justice Assistance Division of the Texas Department of Criminal Justice, and he currently practices at Midland-based Brockett and McNeil. Next to him, Dick DeGarren, I think you probably all know who he is, founder of what is now the DeGarren, Dixon, Hennessy, and Ward Law Firm. He began his legal career as a prosecutor in the Harris County District, District Attorney's Office. As but I fully recovered from that. <laughs> as a criminal defense lawyer, DeGarren has won several high-profile cases. Too many to name here, but let's point out two high-profile public integrity cases, and that would be his successful defense of former House Majority Leader Tom DeLay and former U.S. Senator Kay Bailey Hutchison, both of whom were eventually cleared of all charges. I think Hutchison a lot quicker than DeLay. A lot quicker. After being prosecuted by the Travis DA's office. Uh, following on here, Representative uh, Kenneth Sheets, Republican of Dallas, first elected to represent District 107 in the State House in 2010. He serves on the House Insurance, Judiciary, and Civil uh, Jurisprudence, also Local and Consent Calendars Committee. He's a partner at Payne and Blanchard Law Firm and has uh, served uh, in, as a major in the U.S. Marine Corps. Sheets was also a driving, driving force behind HB 1690, which we're going to talk about today. That's the bill that moved the Public Integrity Unit out of Travis County. Uh, on the end, Representative Chris Turner, D. Grand Prairie, Democrat of Grand Prairie, has represented District 101 in the Texas House since 2013. Uh, he served previously uh, from 2009 to 2010. He's a member of the House Higher Education, Ways and Means, General Investigating and Ethics Committee, as well as the Higher Education Subcommittee on Post-Secondary and Workforce Readiness. Turner was a fierce critic of moving the Public Integrity Unit out of Travis County and changing the way state elected officials are prosecuted for public corruption crimes. So the reason we're all here is that something really big happened uh, related to public integrity investigations in the legislature this year. Um, basically what happened was the politicians changed the way the politicians are prosecuted. They put themselves into an entirely different class when it comes to prosecuting public corruption. The bill HB 1690 caused, them, caused these offenses offenses against public administration, and it includes bribery, coercion, contempt of the legislature, uh, campaign finance uh, violations, et cetera. So normally, this is my first question basically, normally when you're charged with a crime, the prosecution and trial typically occur in the place where the crime was committed. So HB 1690 changed all that for elected officials and state employees. They're tried will be tried now in the county where they reside. And for members of the legislature, that means back to the district. So here's my question. I want to start with Representative Sheets. 
why should elected officials be tried in a completely different way than your sort of average Joe Q citizen? Well, first of all, these, am I on? Yes. Can you hear me? Okay. Um, first of all, these crimes are different, all right? You're talking about a violation of the public trust. And so we're not trying to create a separate class to give them special privileges. What we're trying to do, and, and I would also argue, first of all, we've already been treating elected officials and state leaders differently with the way we were doing in the past. We have just changed it. Um, the ultimate goal, and you're never going to do this, we've seen this in judicial selection as well, is we can try to come up with ways to get politics out of it, but you're still going to keep politics in the system, but we're trying to minimize it. And to me, I think it makes a lot more sense because when you're talking about a violation of the public trust, you're talking about violating the trust of those people who have sent you into that job that you're doing. And for, for us as elected officials, I think it's more appropriate that that ha happens where your voters are and allow them to see it. And it, it also, I think, puts it in the front pages of your, of your hometown newspaper more so than if it's in Travis County. Uh, and again, the whole purpose of getting it out of Travis Co County is the perceived politics that are affiliated with having it in Travis County, whether it be a Democrat or Republican, it doesn't matter which party's in control. You're always going to have people complaining, saying that if I have to get prosecuted in Travis County, that's not fair to me as a defendant to have to face a jury that's not uh, where, where I'm from. Now, and when you're talking about the public and the, violating the public trust, it's not always that it just happened in that one location. When you're talking about venue, violating the public trust could happen anywhere in the state of Texas. And whether you're doing that in Travis County or you're doing that in some other county in the state, when you're representing your folks back home, it's still impacting their representation. Representative Turner, what, what about that? Yeah. Well, I, I think, first of all, it, it might be helpful just to talk a little for a second about how the Public Integrity Unit originated. So it, my understanding is about 1978 uh, when then Travis County DA Ronnie Earl uh, formed the Public Integrity Unit because there had been so many um, state of Texas agencies coming to the Travis County DA saying we need your help going after you know whether it's insurance fraud or motor vehicle uh, fuel tax uh, fraud other kinds of things which is the the you know 90 plus percent of what the public integrity unit has handled over the decades is is those kinds of cases and essentially you know recouping money for the state and by by all accounts they've they've done a good job with it I think even Representative Phil King who authored this bill um, said that uh, during the debate by all accounts they've they've done a good job um, on, on those things but as part of that um, it also involved on occasion prosecuting. Uh, public officials, including elected officials, uh, who uh, who had been accused of, of wrongdoing, and in, my understanding is that in uh, in since 1978 there have been 21 elected officials who have been, uh, been prosecuted by the by the Public Integrity Unit. Fifteen of those were Democrats. Six were Republicans. So I think when we talk about trying to take the partisanship or the politics out of it. I'm not sure what partisanship or politics we're trying to get to. Obviously, there have been some very high-profile cases that you mentioned that Mr. DeGuerin's been involved in, uh, involving very high-profile Republicans. But if you look at the numbers, uh, it's overwhelmingly been, been Democrats who have been prosecuted. So, um, so that's, that's the, the first thing I would just say. I, and, and secondly, um, this is a unique system under House Bill 1690 that, that was passed this legislative session that is a special system for prosecuting crimes uh, committed by elected officials or public officials or that they're accused of. 
And I think it's hard to explain. I wouldn't want to go back to my district when I'm running for re-election next year and, and explain to my voters why I voted to create a special, unique system uh, to, uh, to prosecute me if I'm ever accused of, of a crime that would not be available to, to my constituents. Um, if they commit a crime, they're going to be prosecuted in the county in which they committed the crime. Um, if, if I do that as an elected official, um, I get to basically say it's where, I, where my home is as opposed to where I committed the crime. Okay, so we know that there's but, a, a, a different... Hold on one a, second. I, I want to get Dick DeGarren in here because I, I want to get a, a defense lawyer perspective and a former prosecutor perspective. Do you think that uh, a, an elected official being prosecuted in his home county gives them a home field advantage? That's what well, some of the critics said, including I think Representative Turner, that it's a home field advantage. Well, sure. Of course it does. Uh, but that's, that's why we have home rule. That's why, uh, but, but it can be done very effectively, as Bill Turner has, uh, has demonstrated by uh, prosecuting for uh, public integrity type cases in his own county, uh, people that were in his own county. So it, it can be done. Let, let's go back to the what I think is the original justification for having a special unit in Travis County. And that is that in a lot of counties, uh, people get away with things because the people in those counties want them to get away with things. Let's go back as far as Galveston and gambling. Uh, the gambling problem, if it was a problem, didn't get taken care of in Galveston for so long because everybody in Galveston wanted the gambling. And so it had, uh, the Attorney General had to come in and clean up Galveston. Duval County, uh, to take another example, was uh, uh, you, synonymous with uh, corruption. But they wanted it. That's, they had the Patron system down there, and it didn't get changed until the Attorney General's uh, tried to come in and clean it up and get a uh, someone else to prosecute than local, some other judge than local to sit in the cases. And even then, the, those attorney generals who did it, I think, for political purposes in that they were all those attorney generals that did it, you tick off their names, Will Wilson, uh, John Hill, uh, were running for governor, really, and they failed. Uh, I don't know, Duval County curse is what I call it. But the original justification was to have some unit uh, that was not affected by local politics to prosecute politicians. Well, that, that's a good idea. But to put it in the, in the Travis County District Attorney's Office was a bad idea. Maybe there's more Democrats that historically that have been prosecuted than Republicans, but, you know, you're, you're skewing the numbers because back when you start that count, there weren't any Republicans. They were all Democrats, and they were just conservative Democrats and liberal Democrats. And so that's not a fair comparison. I think that there does need to be some kind of special prosecution unit. But I think it should be totally independent of politics. Not, uh, for instance, putting it in Travis County, where Travis County seems to right now be out of step with uh, the majority of the state uh, and giving that amount of power to a locally elected official. Maybe a better solution is to have uh, statewide politicians, statewide 
jurisdiction given to a statewide appointed prosecutor, someone that's totally independent and not elected. Bill Turner, I'd like to ask you, I mean, do you feel like a local prosecutor, I mean, you obviously prosecuted a pretty politically sensitive issue with A&M in Brazos County. Um, how do, do public integrity prosecutions happen like that on, on the local level and can they be effective? Well, I, I guess my presumption, which I learned along the way in the prosecution, it didn't how I started, but the point is when you have public officials that are violating public trust, uh, that is not a one-time event. And what turned out to happen was I think that the attitude that caused them to violate the law was an attitude that was shared uh, throughout the community. People were exposed to that. They knew there was a problem there with the public officials. And so they didn't hesitate, quite frankly, uh, to respond when they thought somebody was, was abusing their authority. So that would be uh, my, my first thought on it. But, you know, I guess my comment on all of this is I, I tend to agree with Mr. DeGaren because I don't think that you can say uh, that we're taking politics out of it by saying, let's go back to a community where I got 51% of the vote. I mean, it just sounds like you're trying to get hometown, whether you are or not, and, I, and that could be an unintended consequence. Uh, but, but the plain fact is, we have venue issues, statutes in Texas already. And by that, I mean, normally we try the case where the crime is committed. If you can show that you're not gonna be treated fairly, the judge can change venue on his own motion. Or you can demonstrate that to the judge, and the judge can move it to a neutral community, any neutral community, not necessarily where one side or the other has an advantage. So it seems to me that there are ways to tweak this. Um, I agree that there's a, a problem when you have just one central uh, politically charged uh, possibility there. Uh, but I tend to agree more with Mr. DeGaren that an independent prosecutor uh, that has kind of a statewide view of things will give you consistency uh, in their decision making and they'll be able to weed out the cases that are good versus the cases that aren't. Well let's talk about Travis County for a second because there, <laughs> there have, let's be honest, there have been some botched investigations. I mean Jim Maddox, that blew up uh, in the 80s. Kay Bailey Hutchison, they non-suited that case no, like before no, it even began, right? I mean, they didn't, didn't non-suit it. What, 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 what was the term for what? I mean, she was acquitted like on the, before the trial got started, well, right? Well, Ronnie Earl stood up and tried to dismiss the case. I objected. Uh, Kay grabbed my sleeve and said, what are you doing objecting mm -hmm. to him dismissing the case? I said, just stand by. And uh, the, judge, <laughs> <laughs> the judge says, well, Mr. Earl, uh, you know, I have the discretion not to dismiss the case. We're going to go to trial. So he swore in the jury. Uh, Ronnie said, uh, well, we don't have any evidence. I said, well, that's what I wanted to hear. And the jury went out and found us not guilty. So it was a jury verdict. That, that people forget that. And then uh, that obviously was very quick uh, dismissal uh, or uh, acquittal. Not guilty. Acquittal. Quick, not, not guilty. Acquittal, <laughs> not guilty verdict. Um, and uh, of course, Tom DeLay, that took uh, quite a long time, it cost him his job. But, um, well, the difference there is that in Kay Bailey Hutchison's case, we had a judge who realized that we couldn't get a fair trial in Travis County, and he moved it to Fort Worth. In Tom DeLay's case, we had a judge that ignored the, uh, all of the evidence that, that uh, Tom DeLay couldn't get a fair trial in Travis County. Help, Molly Ivins said 
because of time delay, there's a place in Travis County, a street corner in Travis County, where you can spit into three congressional districts. That's what Travis County thought about Tom Delay, and we kept it, or he kept it in Tom Delay, and we lost with the jury, but won on appeal. So the point of all this, of bringing all this up, and you know, not to mention the drunk driving arrest, is that, you know, I, I wonder if we can agree that Travis County put a target on its back. What, what do you think about that, yeah. Chris? Turner? I think it's, a, I think that's a fair point. I, I you know. It, and let me just say, you know, the, the idea of a, you know, a special independent prosecutor or somebody like Mr. DeGarren and Mr. Turner just uh, mentioned, you know, I don't think those of us who opposed this bill that we're discussing today uh, would have opposed that in, in principle. I, I think, you know, we'd have to see the details of how that would work. I, from my perspective, I mean, I don't represent Travis County. I don't have a particular interest in, you know, the inner workings of the Travis County District Attorney's Office. Um, I do have an interest in seeing that, you know, there is some mechanism to fairly uh, pursue charges against public officials uh, when warranted. And, and my, my objection to what ended up happening in this last legislative session is that we've created a special system uh, for elected officials and for public officials. Um, and, and, and when you really get into the details of legislation, I mean, so much of it's just it, it's really absurd how, how unique it is. So, so on the one hand, if you're a public official, including a, a legislator, uh, you would be, and you commit a, a crime, or you're accused of committing a crime in Travis County in connection with your, or, or anywhere, in connection with your public office, whether that's a campaign finance violation or um, bribery or, or you know, uh, charges uh, such as those, you would be prosecuted in your home county, in my case, Tarrant County, Mr. Sheets' case, Dallas County, uh, and because that's where that's where our homestead is. Now, the then that changes though. Let's say uh, Kenneth runs for for governor in a few years and gets elected, and not happening. <laughs> well, work with me on this. So, so he runs for governor and he gets elected elected governor, um, and then is accused of of you know some sort of you know minor campaign finance violation, right? And but instead of uh, him being then prosecuted where he lives then, which would be Travis County, it would default to the residence that he had before he was elected. So there's an exception to the, there, there's, the bill creates an exception for elected officials, then it creates an exception to the exception for statewide elected officials to send them back to their home counties. Uh, and and I, don't think, I don't think the public uh, would, would understand why elected officials have to have those kinds of special uh, exemptions under the law. Right, well, I mean, so basically, like, if, if, if I have a friend in Buda, for example, he's in Hayes County, and he's a state employee, but he lives in Hayes County, and, and we get together and bribe you as a legislator, you would be tried in Grand Prairie back in, in your district, right. I would be tried in, in Travis County, and the state employee would be tried in Hayes County, so you'd have three different counties. So that, is, isn't that, wouldn't, as a prosecutor, how would you look at, like, this three-county deal? Well, I think the overall major impact is this. We, we know that the criminal justice system only works with cooperating citizens. And so we have, that's the, that was the whole reason for the victim rights movement is we knew that victims had to continue calling law enforcement uh, for, the, for the system to work. And they got discouraged the more difficult we made it for witnesses and victims to participate. And so they found that they may call the police the first time something happens, but the next time it happens, they don't want to go through that mess. And so now you may have a crime that occurs in El Paso, and you may get to go to Houston with all your witnesses to try that case. 
Uh, I think that's going to be a hurdle. I don't think it's going to be overwhelming, but I think in the long run, what we're doing is we're saying the convenience of the person accused is going to take precedent over the convenience of the people who happen to be victimized by the crime or happen to be witnesses to the crime. Representative Sheets, what do, what do you think about that sort of you know, confusion or, or you know, the problem, logistics and all of that, that this bill might create? Well, I mean, first of all, let's address the home field advantage issue. We're seeing that play out right now in the Attorney General's uh, case. And you had Travis County decline prosecution, you had Dallas County decline prosecution, and now you have a special prosecutor in his home county where he is very popular and he is under indictment there. So the home field advantage doesn't always work towards the defendant's favor. It can work against the defendant and uh, you could have, and, and that's the important thing to remember with all these, with these issues and it's the hard part for us is that in some cases, some people are concerned that you're trying to give someone an advantage. Well, we're also trying to prevent someone from getting a disadvantage as well. We are trying to make it fair. And again, I don't think it's ever possible to get politics out of it. And I heard Chris talk about, you know, we may have been interested in, in creating a special prosecutor. Well, then we would have been debating the politics of appointing a special prosecutor. How's that person going to be selected? Who's going to appoint them? Is it, are, are you creating a system where they're conflicted out from, from prosecuting the governor because maybe the governor's the one who appointed them? So we're always going to have these issues when we're dealing with public integrity. Uh, the reality is you got, we have to find a way to minimize politics because I think it's impossible to get politics out of it. Um, I, I would like you to also though comment on this issue of did Travis County paint a target on its back because that came up. What was the discussion in the back rooms about either the drunk driving arrest or well, the good news some of the prosecutions, Tom DeLay or whatever? You, you were involved in that. Well, and the good news is that, first of all, I, it, we're trashing Travis County. So the good news for me is I'm leaving shortly after this. So, um, <laughs> but um, you got to get off past the county line, though, you know. Yeah, well, hopefully yeah. they'll let me board the plane. Uh, the reality is that this really there were people who were wanting to move the, the public integrity unit out of Travis County before 2013 and in 2013. But it didn't really pick up traction until the Lemberg arrest. That's when it really picked up traction. And where we were, if everyone remembers, in the 2013 session at that point was we were beyond the bill filing deadline. And so you had uh, representatives such as Phil King who were trying to find a solution to the issue because at that point, we felt like, at least on, on our side, we felt like we have lost complete trust in the Travis County DA's office, especially with the, her conduct during the arrest. And you're seeing that play out in the Governor Perry situation as well. I mean, that whole arrest has spun off a whole bunch of different things in state politics, and it's really interesting. So Travis County did paint a, a target on its back with both DeLay and Hutchinson, but I think more so with the conduct of the DA afterwards, I think was the final straw that allowed the motivation to push it forward. Dick, I, I want to ask you, Dick, what, what would it be like for you as a defense attorney if you had, say, a client who, and, and you know, other defendants are being tried in other counties? Wouldn't that be strange and hard to, to deal with? Yeah, it, it is. And so you have to go back really to the basics. Um, for the longest time, and I think, uh, Texas is not unique. I think it's uh, uh, the same across the country and in federal jurisdictions. You try the case, or you're supposed to be tried, where the event occurred, um, whether it's a, a crime or a, 
a breach of contract or a tort or uh, any other sort of lawsuit, you're supposed to try it where it occurred. If you can't get a fair, fair trial there, there are methods of getting it to some place where you can have a fair trial. I, I just disagree with the idea that, um, and, and by the way, there's been a statute on, on the books a lot longer than this most recent one, where a um, campaign finance violation uh, against a public official, uh, the venue lies where the public official is, uh, lives, not where it happened. So it could happen in Austin, but you have to go back there. But you look at where the facts occurred, and that's where the case ought to be tried. And, there, and there, like I said, there's methods of getting it out of there if, there's, if you can't get a fair trial. One other thing I need to uh, contradict, I think, is the in criminal cases, uh, giving consideration to the convenience of the victim, which I tell my law students, you don't talk about victims, you talk about complainants. Um, the criminal justice system is designed to protect those who find themselves at the point of the barrel of the state's big gun. And that's what our uh, Bill of Rights is about. That's what our procedures are about. That's what our rules of evidence are about. And so uh, injecting uh, the convenience of the complainant into the equation is the wrong thing to do, in my opinion. You had something you wanted to say, Representative Turner? Yeah, well, just to circle back real quick on the um, case involving the Attorney General, Kim Paxton. Um, Travis County decided it didn't have, have jurisdiction. I think in Dallas County, I think it decided something similar. Um, in Collin County, uh, and this is important as it relates to this, this bill that, that we're, it's now law, it, the, the prosecutor there, the DA, Greg Willis, um, had, had taken no action on, on the allegations involving the Attorney General. And, and only, a special prosecutor was only appointed, interestingly, after Mr. Willis recused himself because there had, well, I won't say because, but people can draw their own conclusions. He recused himself uh, at a time when there was uh, a lot of attention in the, in, in the news media about uh, will he or won't he go after uh, uh, the Attorney General for, for these, uh, these security, alleged securities violations. And interestingly, he recused himself, I believe, on the very day that we debated this bill on the floor of the House, and I offered an amendment to say that um, if we're going to have this sort of, you know, home, uh, you know, home cooking kind of arrangement for uh, for elected officials, that if the defendant has a business relationship with the prosecutor, the prosecutor is required to go to the judge and and recuse and ask for it to be recused, and. Uh, it, Mr. Willis and, and General Paxton had such a, a business relationship. Uh, and it was that very day that he, or the very next day, that he uh, went to the judge and recused himself. And that's how we got the special prosecutor. So I don't think we, we could look at that and say, well, the, the system just worked perfectly there because there was a lot of external pressure outside of the legal system that I think coincided with that recusal and that special prosecutor being, being appointed. By the way, that provision 
which we adopted in the House and, and everyone supported, was stripped out of the bill in the conference Right. Committee. So right now the recusal statute, basically part of that bill says that there can be a recusal, and if there is a recusal, they'll hire a special prosecutor, but it's up to the discretion of the prosecutor as to whether or not he wants to exactly. be recused. Exactly. And I just want to touch on something, because I've been a vocal opponent to any bill that provides special privileges for legislators. I mean, anybody who follows the legislature may remember in 2013 there was, a, there was an amendment that would have given us the right to open carry uh, or concealed carry anywhere in the state except for on federal property. And uh, I teamed up with Representative Stickland and a few others and we just completely trashed that amendment and got it thrown out of off the bill. Uh, and I, that's just one example. But here in this case, everyone keeps referring to it, and I have too, as the home field advantage. The question is, and I guess a lot of this comes from my experience as a Marine Corps judge advocate, because jurisdiction and venue is completely different in the military, because it's based on your status rather than your location. Jurisdiction, for most cases, in, in most courts, is based on ge geography. In this case, we're creating jurisdiction for the, for the Texas Rangers to investigate based on status. And it's because, not because elected officials need to have a special privilege, but because they can commit certain crimes or other people who are affiliated with the government. They can, com they can uh, commit certain crimes that your average citizen can't commit. And so it's making sure that these cases are prosecuted appropriately and then also hoping that we can get the politics out of it. Well, I do think it's a little jarring to look at the bill and it basically names elected officials. And so you, there, there is, you know, a, a unique class of, of individuals a, a, with respect to this bill. But I, I would like to bring up the Paxton case in this context. Is that not uh, something like that, an unintended consequence in a way of this bill? Because as you pointed out, Representative Turner, Travis County took a pass on this. Now, they said they didn't have venue, but the State Securities Board is located in Travis County, so uh, a, a prosecutor probably could have made the case that there was some kind of venue here. They passed. It ended up going to Collin County. Then there was a lot of pressure. The guy felt, the, the DA there felt the local pressure, and then, you know, didn't this work the, sort of the way it was intended? What do you think about that, uh, Bill Turner? Well, I, once again, I don't, I don't believe that there is actually a hometown advantage for the reasons I said. I believe that people uh, that have become above the law, uh, that becomes apparent. I believe the big issue is the appearance that the message is, and that is any time in the criminal justice system when you create a special group of people and treat them differently, either way. I mean, we had horrible his, history of Jim Crow laws. I mean, when we create a group of people, we treat them differently procedurally, that is a problem. It would not be the problem if we said these crimes are going to be all prosecuted this way, whether it's a citizen or a government official. I think that alleviates a lot of the problem. But we have said that procedurally, this group of government officials are going to be treated differently. So that, Dick, that's my issue. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Dick. Well, uh, there are certain crimes that have to be uh, committed by public officials. If it's official misconduct, you have to be in a, a, a elected or appointed official in order to commit the crime. And so that's not creating a special class, that's just a special kind of crime. Now there are other crimes and violation of the Securities Act is not necessarily an official misconduct. It just happened to be someone who's now an official who may have committed the crime. I, my recollection is that 
Travis County took a pass because they got defunded and couldn't afford to, to take the case rather than they didn't think there was jurisdiction. There's clear jurisdiction in the public integrity unit by statute, not that there should be. Uh, secondly, it's, it's clear that the Collin County DA and, and uh, uh, Ken Paxson had a relationship, so he should have recused himself. Maybe he should have done it a little bit earlier. Uh, and so the, there's a, definitely a, a need there for <clears throat> some uh, prosecutorial authority. Probably, uh, the, the, if the offense is alleged to have been committed in Collin County, then it should be the Collin County DA or someone that replaces him because he's disqualified because of interest. And, and that's my feeling. I, I'm, maybe I'm old-fashioned. I just think that uh, a crime should be prosecuted first where it uh, occurred because after all, all crimes are prosecuted in the name of the state, in the name of the people. They're crimes against uh, the people, not against individuals. And uh, the county where it occurred, uh, if the crime is committed there, that's who should be prosecuting. That's my feeling. But what about the possibility of unintended consequences and, and that those consequences could lead? I mean, we haven't seen an indictment of, of a statewide elected official, uh, a whole lot of indictments of statewide elected officials in, in, in quite some time. Now we have two uh, recently, um, and um, neither one of them are really went through the normal process in Travis County. And this one with uh, Ken Paxson, it was in his home county, and now he's found himself indicted on very, very serious felony charges. Given your experience with the Travis County DA's office, what do you think the sort of net effect over time will be when you, if, if you get some of these prosecutions spread out in other counties? Well, understand that my experience is anecdotal uh, and it, it is based on specific cases. Uh, Senator Hutchison was a statewide elected official at the time of the alleged crimes and she was a statewide elected official at the time that she was indicted. Uh, but that doesn't, really that doesn't matter. Uh, it, Tom DeLay was not statewide official. Uh, he was uh, locally elected, but certainly a, a national uh, figure. Um, let's see, who else uh, would there be? Uh, of course, uh, the governor. <laughs> uh, that's almost laughable what they what they've done to him not because I'm his biggest fan but I just don't think I think that he had the right to say Rosemary you've lost the public's confidence you ought to step down if you don't I'm gonna take I'm not gonna let you handle eight million dollars worth of the state's money what that might not be a very popular position Bill I just wanted to speak to this <laughs> I just wanted to speak to this potential for uh, when you spread it out all over the state, uh, what the result could be, because I've been a prosecutor for a long time and I know a lot of prosecutors that are all very well intentioned, but they do come from different disciplines. There are prosecutors well intentioned that believe in the strict letter of the law and they have the discretion by statute to exercise that discretion. There are people, prosecutors, that deal more from just a general fairness concept. and so. In Brazos County, if you have eight members of the Board of Regents that in, in cohort commit a crime, that could eventually go to eight different prosecutors, all who legitimately have the right to exercise their discretion the way they feel. Uh, so you can have 
a variety of responses to, this, to the same event. One thing that we haven't talked a lot about is uh, the initial investigation. I, I think we can all agree that, you know, Travis County, as, as Rick Perry once said, is the blueberry in the tomato soup. It's a, it's a blue county in the middle of red Texas, and I think that they're pretty independent from state government. Now what we're going to have is the Texas Rangers are going to be responsible for the initial investigation. And of course, the Texas Rangers ultimately report to political authorities who could actually you know, be investigated by the Texas Rangers. Is that, is that a problem? Is that a conflict? Representative Turner, what do you, what do you think about that? Well, I tell you, my, my objections to, to this new system uh, have much more to do with the, the venue of, of where someone's prosecuted back in their home county, as opposed to the, the involvement of the Texas Rangers. I think you know the, the Rangers are, um, you know, world-class law enforcement investigative uh, organization, and we've actually, in our general investigating ethics committee, have had some recent experience in, in some of their uh, in investigations, and um, you know I think they they do a, a fantastic job. Um, it is true what you just said that you know ultimately they are part of the Department of Public Safety. The Department of Public Safety is overseen by a, an executive director who's hired by a uh, commission, and the commissioners are gubernatorial appointees. So you're satisfied there won't be any political pressure. I, I'm a lot less concerned about that than okay. I am. The, you feel the, the same way, Bill Turner? I do. I believe that the Texas Rangers really do try to protect their image. I believe with public prosecution crimes, there's intense review. The spotlight is turned on everybody from start to finish, uh, prosecutors, investigators, defense attorneys, and how they do their job. And I think that, that, I think that'll take care of that issue. I know where you stand on this, Representative Sheets. What about you, Dick? Do you think that the Rangers are, that's, you know, are immune to any political pressure? No. Uh, they're not immune. Uh, they're human beings. But they are a cut above. I've, uh, you know, I was raised in Texas. I think Texas Rangers are the cream of the crop. And uh, they, they have to work hard. They have to go through a whole lot of vetting in order to get where they are. And I think, for the most part, uh, they uh, resist political pressure. Uh, and I, th I would rather uh, trust my luck to an investigation by the Texas Rangers, if I didn't have anything to hide, uh, than, <laughs> than to the... Uh, investigators hired by the Travis County District Attorney's Office. And I would use a little bit different illustration than the blueberry and the tomato soup. I'd say something more like the turd in the punch bowl. <laughs> okay. Um, we're gonna, we're gonna, I'm, I'm gonna ask, I'm gonna ask one more question and then we're gonna open it up to questions from the audience. Um, Jake, can I just make one yeah, quick point on that real quick too, is that Viewing it from the federal standpoint, when you're looking at public corruption, who's investigating that? Yeah, it's, it's the FBI. And the, the Texas Rangers or the Texas, I mean, I'm not going to compare them to the FBI because that's an insult to the Texas Rangers. But it's a, yeah, I was going to get sound bites out of this today. But you've you got to have some law enforcement agency who's responsible for it. And when we're talking about, like Chris said, world class, you're talking about the Texas Rangers. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, a law enforcement agency is part of the executive branch, whether it's the federal, state, uh -huh. or local level. So there's going to be some political involvement. Okay, so we're going to open up the questions very soon. But one second, Glenn. Um, one last question, fair, fairly quickly, if you will. If you were king for a day, would you? How would you design this? I don't know, Representative Cheeks. Maybe you would design it just like House Bill 1690. But if you could have the, what's the perfect or the near perfect system? 
Go ahead. It, there's probably not a there's not probably not a perfect system, but uh, I, I think at the very minimum, what should happen? Like I said, I'm fine with the Rangers being involved and being the investigative arm. Uh, and, we'll, and let's see how that works. Um, it's, it's new, but, but I have confidence in them. Uh, but we shouldn't be uh, prosecuting people in counties that, uh, where the crime didn't occur. I mean, we should, we should keep that standard. You know, I think 1690 is not perfect. I don't think there's anything that is perfect. And I think over the next several years, we'll have an opportunity to make tweaks. And venue is one of those things that probably will be tweaked. And I think it will, we'll need to take a look at that because there are issues that are being brought up that are very um, legitimate issues. Uh, the one thing I would want to say, though, is we, we refer to victims or complainants. A lot of times you got to remember when you're talking about local elected officials who are state reps, senators, whoever, the people who, who put their trust into them, though, are those people from back home and wherever their home county is generally. So um, to me, that, that makes some sense, but we have to look at also where the crime occurs, and I think there's some tweaking to happen. Dick, you already said something statewide, but how do you make sure that if you did something like that, that it wouldn't be, uh, you know, a political thing that, that you... Well, that's difficult. So it, let's say you have an office of uh, uh, prosecution that's statewide. You already have something like that in the Attorney General, but they don't have uh, criminal jurisdiction unless called in by the local authorities. So you have an office of statewide prosecution. How do you how do you get someone in charge of that? Is it elected? There you go. You mm -hmm. you you got whoever whatever party's in charge. Is it appointed? Well, then it's appointed by the governor. I don't know what the answer is to how you choose the leader of that office, but I think there should be an office of statewide prosecution and it should be as free of uh, political uh, pressure as possible. Bill, I, I tend to agree uh, I would change the venue issue. I, I, just, I just think that we've all been raised that the rule of law means nobody's above the law, nobody's below it, so we don't create classes of people. So I would find a way, if venue is the issue, find a way to address the, ven the current venue statute and, and address that specific issue that allows them to move to a neutral site that doesn't leave the appearance that there's uh, appearance, once again, unintended consequences. And then uh, on appointments, I don't know unless you can spread that appointment out to a committee of uh, statewide officials that would somewhat, somewhat neutralize uh, somebody's personal agenda. So we have our first question over here. If you have a question, please step up to one of the mics here. Can you hear me? Yep, sure can. Excellent. Very good panel. I have a question as a non-lawyer, but a guy that's been somewhat involved in some of the complaints filed against various public officials over the last few years. And here's my question. Did you really take jurisdiction away from Travis County? If I think somebody in the state government committed a crime today, one, could I file a complaint with the Travis County District Attorney's Office? And what in the statute prohibits Travis County from pursuing that complaint, either a misdemeanor complaint or a felony complaint with a grand jury? Because can you, without a constitutional amendment, take jurisdiction in any criminal matter away from a particular county? Are, are, you, are there constitutional problems with this statute? There have been people who raise constitutional problems. Uh, we have vetted them. I think we're good on the constitutional issues, but to answer the question, I think it depends on the crime. And it depends on where the crime happened. I mean, I can complain about a crime happening uh, in Tarrant County to a Dallas police officer, and he's not going to do anything about it. Uh, I think it all depends on the crime, the venue, and we are going to see how this plays out over the next several years. But so, I agree with your, with your reading of it. It doesn't prohibit investigation by local agencies. It does not prohibit taking a case to the grand jury. 
The real effect, though, is, is if it's indicted, I'm sure at that point it goes home. Well, I mean, if it, it's indicted, then at least you would have uh, a lot of argument and a lot of appeals probably by a defendant who would say, wait a minute, you don't have venue here. Um, a lot of controversy. So, right. so have you opened the door then, assuming that you successfully took jurisdiction in certain matters away from one particular county because you think it's a turd in the punch bowl, for instance, <laughs> could you then say to Harris County, no more capital cases or no more DWIs in Tarrant County? I mean, have you set a precedent or opened a door to to a really bad precedent or slippery slope. Well, at that point, you're violating a constitutional principle if we're going to segregate a county by name. Uh, we can't do that. Uh, we're, we're prohibited from passing laws that specifically affect one county. Now, we I can agree. do it by, we can do it through bracketing, and we're, we're very successful at doing that, but. Um, but Travis County's named a lot and all, all throughout the statutes about it. It said if venue is not, uh, for venue, counties are named all the time. But, but I, I think you raise a, a really good point in one of the many, and I think there will be many probably that we haven't even thought of yet, unintended consequences of, of this law. And, and, and yeah, as a citizen of Travis County, if you have evidence of criminal wrongdoing, you should be able to go to your local chief law enforcement officer, the district attorney, and say, I think something legal is going on here. And, and we would all want, no matter what county we live in, our DA to take you know, credible allegations seriously and go investigate them. And so then what happens? You know, to, then you know, if, they, if they investigate it and try to bring an indictment, I think what, what Jay just said is right. The, the defendant would say, well, no, they don't have jurisdiction. And you, you tie it up, try to tie it up in court with a, with a venue battle. Um, and, and how is that? How, how is that rule of law? Nick, you had a, something. Yeah, th there's a difference between jurisdiction and venue. And um, <clears throat> there are many venue statutes that give venue uh, to some place other than where the actual uh, acts occurred. And they've all been upheld so far. Uh, jurisdiction is a different matter and basically uh, Travis County is uh, the special prosecution unit or now the public integrity unit was given jurisdiction of uh, cases involving public integrity. I'm sorry, but one more follow up to that. But if the crime is committed in Travis County, they didn't have to be given jurisdiction by the, the original Public Integrity Act. No. They already had jurisdiction. No, if right? the crime occurred in Travis County, Travis County DA's got jurisdiction and venue. That's what I thought. Thank you. Another question over here. Hi, uh, I had a question about uh, our upcoming constitutional amendment election. We've got Proposition 3, Senate Joint Resolution 52, which, uh, and just as background, uh, basically for the last 140 years, a number of uh, specified state officials have been designated as having a requirement to reside in the city of Austin. Uh, the amendment would allow state officials to designate someplace other than Austin as their permanent residence. Is this a counterpart to House Bill 1690 and is Proposition 3 intended to shield state elected officials from prosecution. So how, how does the constitutional amendment play into 1690? Uh, Representative Turner, you want to start with that? Well, yeah, was, I voted against 
prop, what, what is now Proposition 3 for the, the reason you just suggested, um, in that a lot of us felt that the reason for Proposition 3 was to allow statewide elected officials to sort of get away from the, the Travis County DA or the Public Integrity Unit, um, you know, working in tandem with House Bill 1690. So now, in reality, because of how 1690 was enacted, um, that concern, as far as I can tell, is probably moot because even if you are a statewide elected official and reside in the city of Austin under, under the 1690, your venue is where you resided before you took statewide office. So Proposition 3 probably does not have any bearing uh, on that now. There are other concerns with it, just, you know, if you're running a major state agency and the bulk of your employees are headquartered in Austin, should you re be required to, to, to be here? But, you know, Austin is an expensive city. To live in. I, I get that side, too. It, Thank you. When you're talking about Austin and you're talking about statewide elected officials, and I think actually the Constitution says Travis County, not the city of Austin. It says Travis County. But the reality is, look at the surrounding counties. If someone wants to, if a statewide elected official wants to live in Williamson County, why can't he live in Williamson County or why can't she live in Williamson County? And frankly, we have the technology now, we have, we have the, the, tran the transportation infrastructure now to where you can move around the state, you can conduct business all across the state uh, in a single office. And so it, for, for most of us, what, at least my intent in, in, in voting for that piece of legislation was that recognizing where we are today because the Constitution was written back when uh, you were still uh, taking horses and, and, and wagons to get to and from. I mean, our Constitution, that's part of the reason why you have to wait 60 days before you can consider legislation, is you had to give enough time for people to get there. Uh, we don't have those concerns anymore. you have a question, sir? Uh, yes, thank you. Uh, and as a disclaimer, since three of you know me, I'm Shannon Edmonds with the Texas District and County Attorneys Association but I'm not gonna sandbag you, Mr. DeGaren. I did have a question about, uh, the, both the lawyers mentioned sort of an independent counsel model or an independent prosecutor model, and our policymakers didn't talk about that, but I wonder if they see any potential problems with adopting what's, you know, we had that in Washington with Mr. Ken Starr and the Clinton investigation, and the feds have kind of gone away from that because of the funding issues. It became just an open, checkbook for that and there wasn't always a lot of accountability so I was curious if that was ever discussed um, in the course of where to put this and what problems there might be with that model representative sheets was that discussed and well uh, I think there were a lot of things that were on the table and at one point that was discussed as fiscal conservative I'll tell you I'm opposed to it for the very same reasons you just stated is one how are you going to fund it and then these cases when you're talking about public officials they're not that they don't occur that often so are you funding an office that is, is the workload going to justify the expenses there and part of the reason why I supported what the way we did it was because you already have the existing infrastructure there of the DAs um, and you know this whole conversation reminds me of an email that I've gotten from one of my uh, constituents who's a frequent flyer who's always, he, he sends me emails all the time. And he brings a good point and it gets to what you're talking about with the politics of it because it's, if it's our guy, it's a political witch hunt. But if it's their guy, he's good as guilty. And that's the problem with, with trying to set up a system where you're putting a special prosecutor. And I saw it when we were trying to set up um, 
a system that changed the way we choose judges in the state of Texas. Every idea we came up with, somebody had a, had a problem with because they would say, no, 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 that gives X party an advantage over us. And so politics is always going to play a role in this, and we're trying to find a way to get politics out, or at it, least minimize it. It does seem to be true that, that special prosecutors often have a zeal that you don't see in the regular prosecutor. Dick DeGaron, would you rather have the turd in the punch bowl or a special prosecutor? Uh, well, it depends on who the special prosecutor is, I guess. Uh, accountability. Someone said accountability, and so often the special prosecutors have no accountability. Uh, the accountability of a, an elected DA is his constituency. If he screws up, then he's going to get unelected. And that's, that's a good thing about politics, uh, usually, is that um, politicians have to be responsive to their constituents or uh, they're going to be shoveling dirt. And Shannon, let me clarify. I wasn't talking about appointing a special prosecutor every time a crime was committed. I mean, there was a fund because we believe there was enough crime to at least fund the Public Integrity Unit in Travis County. I believe that there ought to be a professional prosecutor. I believe there's consistency there. When they get all of the complaints, they can make a consistent decision about what is the trash and what is worthwhile. And they would be accountable to, to who appoints them. So I wasn't talking about a specific prosecutor for, for a specific case. I was talking about a professional prosecutor appointed uh, neutrally. Let me just add that uh, I think Shannon's question made me think of another aspect to, to House Bill 1690 that is probably in the realm of unintended consequences. And just like you wouldn't want a, a special prosecutor with unlimited budget and unlimited amount of time like, you know, happened in the, at the federal level many years ago, um, because that probably isn't a, a good uh, or fair system. Um, conversely, if you, in the, if you look at General Paxton's case, uh, there was a, uh, we know the special prosecutors are, are out of Collin County, and recently the Collin County Commissioner's Court was taking up uh, the issue of the prosecutor's budget. And they, there, there was a proposal, I'm not sure where it ended up, but a proposal to cap the prosecutor's expenses at I think about thirty or $35,000. Um, now for a very, you know, complex uh, uh, trial involving, you know, three, three counts on, you know, uh, laying the securities laws, from, I'm, not, I'm not a lawyer, I'm the only non-lawyer on this panel. I understand it's not a very large budget uh, for, for that kind of <laughs> That's case. That's one deposition. <laughs> but, but again, yeah. <laughs> but again, uh, you have, who do you have? You have county commissioners and the county judge who are partisan elected officials, you know, making these decisions potentially that could influence, uh, dramatically affect the, the outcome of the investigation, how the investigation is even conducted. Well, and that, that speaks to the serendipity of the choice of a special prosecutor. Who are you going to get? Who are you going to hire? Um, you know, they got Ken Starr and, and $100 million later, there's nothing. And you get uh, some uh, three lawyers from Houston now uh, who are held to a $35,000 budget. Uh, so, Bill Turner and I agree, there ought to be some kind of office of special prosecution. Well, and they, they updated, I, I got the numbers this morning, they've increased the budget to 100000 which again, is not much. <laughs> That's about three depositions. Right. <laughs> and the, the other problem is that they're, they're overpaying the attorneys, it appears, too, because they're paying them, uh, I think, in the, in the $300 realm per hour with, for, for public. It's overpaid. For someone who's working for a public entity, that, that's, that's pretty high. 
I think we have time for one more question, which should start with a disclosure. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Jay, next time you use a bribery example, I'd appreciate it if it didn't involve my husband. Uh, okay, okay. But I do have a serious question. Isn't there already a unit, a statewide unit in Huntsville that does nothing but prosecute crimes that occur in prison, right? They're fully functioning. They're, I don't know how they're funded. What about looking at that unit and just expanding their scope? Just thought. Did anybody know anything about that unit? I don't know a I've thing about heard it. Of it but I didn't yeah. Know. Um, I've, uh, I've defended some, some cases brought by that unit. And usually when a, uh, a good lawyer comes in to defend uh, those cases, they go away. Uh, just, it's my experience that uh, the prosecutors are, are basically uh, civil servants that, that uh, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with civil servants, but they're just there to draw a salary and they don't care too much about what they're doing. I think that you, if you have a professional uh, special prosecutor's office or a professional uh, prosecutor's office, uh, to uh, for public integrity cases, and and you solve the problem with how they're chosen, how they're responsive to the people, and how they get their budget, then that's the ideal situation. Yeah, it, it, it's going to continue to come down to politics. I mean, you got to remember, prisoners don't have a vote, um, and so you you take. I mean you don't have the political issues that you have there. And also you don't have Republicans versus Democrats thinking that they're, they're trying to knife each other in the back. I mean, ultimately that's the problem with trying to set up a system and get the politics out of it is neither side is trusting the other side. Yeah, yeah. I'd point out if there's something that functions on a statewide basis and sort of addresses a, a venue question, you know, maybe that's something to, to to consider if, if we need to come back and say this isn't working in a few years, but um, you know, agree. It's, it's hard to find the ideal. Yeah, ideal well, I, I, I think we can all agree that uh, the legislature likes to come in and, and tinker with things yes. over time. So I think that's the, all we have the time for today. So uh, please give our panelists here a round of applause. Thank you, Thank you very much. Enjoy. 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 Enjoy.